Welcome to the Peak Community Church Podcast, where weekly messages are available for your hearing. The look of love. The feel of love. I mean, I was, I was scared. There was uncertainty, but the look on her, the determination in her eyes. I knew that there was nothing that was going to stand in her way. She was just ready to spring into action, and I knew that it didn't have, it didn't matter if it was flames, if it was a burglar, if it was someone trying to bully. She was going to be there. And today, I I can't help but to think about God's love for us. We look at ourselves, and oftentimes, you know, we see ourselves in, 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 in the perspective of shame. And I say that because, you know, deep down inside, we, we, we know that we fall short. There are things that we think about that we wish we didn't think about. There are things that we do that we wish we didn't do. There are things that we say that we wish we wouldn't have said it. And if we didn't say it, well, certainly sometimes we think it. And so we know that there are things that we shouldn't think, and yet we entertain those thoughts. And, and, and for whatever reason, we, we are a shameful society. I don't think it's just a society. I think it's humanity. We fall short. Each one of us, even on our best days, when we try to be the best that we can, we fall short. And I remember that even with all of the things that I did wrong, and believe you me, I did plenty wrong. I have to continue to remind myself that every time I have to deal with my son, oh, retribution, mom. Un día tú vas a ver, tú vas a tener un hijo. But you know what? Mom always stood by me. Even, yeah. Even when I was wrong, like she knew I was wrong. Like I knew she knew that I was, even when I lied to her and told her it wasn't me, she knew it was me. And she still believed in me. How much more does God's love extend to us? I sometimes wonder, can we ever know? I I remember growing up in a hardware store. This is my mom in the hardware store, so elegantly posed on top of a ladder. Um, (laughs) You can... (laughs) I learned a lot of valuable lessons growing up in in, in a mom-and-pop hardware store. Um, You know, as a kid, we learned how how to set up a rat trap while being able to catch the rat alive. That was always like, I mean, we just, we used to find things to do. (laughs) That was very entertaining. (laughs) Um, Learn how to, you know, light up butane and, and um, we, we made, we made small explosives in the yard and blew things up sometimes. Um, Learn some practical stuff like how to work a register and, and, and everything in retail service, customer service, placing orders, receiving orders, rotating stock, stacking shelves, pricing inventory. In that store, I even met my bride. Young and in love, yeah. Where's she at? Oh, she's not even here. Oh, that girl, she's my girl. All right. Um, 
In fact, last night we were just we were just ta- uh, um, sharing the story as to like kind of our, our first interaction when she came into that hardware store, um, looking for a, a she she worked in key food, which was like maybe five restore, re- retail stores up the block. And so I used to go and open the store, and there I was, my jeans and my wife beater, and working hardware. And uh, she came in one day, and, and she was looking for, uh, there was an Army-Navy store right next door, and they were closed. And she was looking for one of those um, beaded stainless steel chains that you would put dog tags on. And, uh, and so, we, obviously, we didn't sell dog tags. But how many people know I, I could be a fairly persuasive salesman? So, so I said, you know what, dog tags, we don't, we don't have those chains. But you know what, I, I have something that's similar. How many people remember the pull chain lamps, right? <laughs> so, so I turned around and I said, I, um, I don't have dog tags, but you know what, I've got to put this pull chain lamp. And I took it and I cut the last bead off of it. And I put one of those connectors on it that you can connect it and make a ring out of it. It's like you could put your Woolworth keys right onto this. And hey, why don't I make a copy of those keys for you? How about that? So I got to show, show my stuff on the key machine. Hey, girl, I could do this. <laughs> I made her keys and the key worked. And I'm thinking, this is good. I'm good. <laughs> she took that chain and so she was wearing it every time she went to work. And what happened was about three weeks later, it started turning her neck black. <laughs> she came back to the store. What was she? <laughs> Um, but there we, there we were young and in love. We started dating in 1995. We were 22. We spent a lot of time on the phone and writing letters to each other. And I got to tell you, she truly was an answer to prayer. I mean, an actual prayer. Like I asked God, um, for, for, for someone that I would be able to share this newfound relationship with him. And, um, and she showed up after years later. I never opened up to anyone like I did to her. Um, in 1998, uh, we were married. We were 25. I thought I had a clue. At 25, you think you have a clue, right? Yeah, you know better. Eh, clueless. <laughs> Just, <laughs> but I, you know, I thought I had to kind of at least, you know, per, put up the, 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 the front, you know, perpetrate the fraud. Like it's gotta be like, yeah, I got a clue. No, we got this. We're good. And, um, but again, I was clueless. I had no concept of what it was to be a man or to hold myself accountable. And there we were in a marriage, a holy union by God himself. Did I mention that I was clueless? Just clueless. And it, it, it quickly became apparent that she got the shorter end of the stick. <laughs> um, let me explain something. And, and if you're, you know, this is probably one of those PowerPoints. Book knowledge can never compare to experience. Book knowledge can never compare to experience. See, what you learn from a book becomes head knowledge. You can read it. You could go to the library. You could Google Siri. She's going to tell you something. And, and, and it's going to become book knowledge. You can learn about something. You could take a virtual tour and look at what, you know, you could look at what Israel looks like, right? But, but it'll never compare to being in Israel. Head knowledge never goes beyond the limitation of the finite mind. 
If you understand something in your mind, how many, know, how many people know that your, your mind is limited? I mean, it's bad enough we only use like 12% of it. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that it's very limited. Our, our, compared to an infinite God, our minds are very finite. So whatever you learn from reading, the lesson will always be limited. However, when you go from knowledge to experience... When you have to go through to get through something, then that's a game changer. When you get to apply what you've learned and you get to experience it firsthand, it goes from head knowledge to heart knowledge. What you know in your heart, what you've experienced emotionally, psychologically, intellectually, Now that's become a lesson that's learned, that's going to stay with you. You've learned it. You've known it. Your experience releases the head knowledge from its limitations and transforms it to something permanent, something substantial that you can hold on to it. Head knowledge combined with experience is what develops faith. That's what faith becomes. Scripture says uh, uh, in, in Romans, right, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that are unseen. So what does that mean? If faith is the substance of things hoped for, it's the evidence of the things that we cannot see. So therefore, if I know that I have a hope, if there's a desire that's inside of me, as I've studied God's word and I know that my desire is in alignment with his word, I could take him and hold him to his word. So that's the hope I have. Because I have that hope, I'm able to bring that to him in prayer. Once I can see the physical manifestation of my prayer be fulfilled before my eyes, when I see the impossible become possible, when I see the boundaries and the borders that were once in front of me come down, when I receive the answer to his prayer, that hope transfers into faith. Faith is not, is not hoping, it's not believing, faith is knowing. Faith is knowing. Knowing in your knower that you know. It takes, it takes sometimes a little bit of experience in order to develop the proper amount of faith. Give you a, a, a quick illustration is, uh, I, I, um, a sailor. Right, A guy goes out in, on his sailboat for the first time, encounters his first wicked storm. You pull down the sails, you got to kind of ride the waves. I mean, 40-foot waves, wind-driven rain, wind tossing you back and forth. You're tying yourself down into this boat. I mean, there is nothing but fear inside of you, right? It's... it's, it's <gasps> You know, you, am I going to survive this thing? I mean, life is right before you. It's a life and death situation. And there you are weathering this storm. You get through that storm. You learn a little bit about yourself. You learn a little bit about your boat. You learn a little bit about weather and how it operates, right? Four or five years down the line, 
that same boatman, that same sailor is now in a boat with a younger man. They're going through a similar storm. As they're going through that similar storm, how many people would know that there's a difference between the young boatsman and the experienced boatman? Huh? There's a certain confidence that comes over the experience. The young man is scared and he's, oh my God, we're going to die. And so the, the experienced boatman could almost look at him from across the boat with a little snicker. <laughs> Yo, relax, calm down. Listen, tie yourself down if you must. You know, this is, and don't throw up in my boat. You know, we're going to get through this. What's the difference between the inexperience and the experience? If you've never been through it, how can you truly speak to it? How can you have the confidence and the faith and the foreknowledge that you're going to get through it? But when you've been through it a few times, when you've allowed God to come in into this relationship through your prayer, through your hoping, you, you're taking him into the storms of life and you're allowing him to be that experienced boatsman that's going to get you through that storm. And as you get storm after storm of life that comes at you, whether they're financial, whether they're emotional, whether they're family, whether it's a house issue, whether it's a job issue, it doesn't, we're constantly battling storms in our lives. How awesome is it to have a faith that's going to withstand the storm? Knowing that we serve a living God who is mindful of the details of his people. That when we cry out to him, he is one that is able to answer. And he makes a way. He's not bound by the physical limitations of this world. We're, we're bound by some of the physical laws and properties that, that surround us. But when we, when we come to the end of ourselves and begin to pray, we can see supernatural things take place. We can see physical healing where there should be no healing take place. We can see answers to prayers. We can see prodigals return home. We can see people get saved. We can see uh, addictions and the chains and shackles come off. This is the relationship that we have with a living God that is mindful of his people. Only when you experience something do you really know something. And how many people know that life prepares you for some things? Look at your neighbor and tell them life's preparing you for some things. Even early on in our marriage, I, I realized that life was preparing me for some things. After we got married, I, I, that's when I really knew she got the shorter end of the stick. Um, and so when we found out that we were pregnant two years later, well, that changed everything. I really wanted to try to step up and, 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 and man, I tell you, as, as, as I went through that experience, um, when, when, when you see, when you see that, that belly growing and there's a baby inside and as the baby's getting bigger, there's movement and, you know, I was, I was, I tried to be that dad. I used to sing to the belly. I had, I had a, I had a particular song I used to always sing to her belly. Hannah, do you still remember it? No. Um, <laughs> I started reading uh, books like what to expect when you're expecting. Like that's the Bible of the pregnancy, right? Uh, try to hold down a job. Did I mention that I was clueless 
Did I mention that? I was still clueless. But there was just something miraculous. Miraculous about a baby growing inside a belly of a woman. All the while to think that inside of her, inside of her body, there was this little creature that was alive and stirring. This little baby. You were a creature. (laughs) But completely eating through that umbilical cord, eating off of her, living inside of her, completely dependent on her. My God, what kind of bond is that? See, I'll never know. Fellas, you'll never know. Unless we could experience that. We will never know. But ladies, each one of you that is a mom, you get it. You know. There's nothing like a mother's love. Stop. So listen, (laughs) I was trying to step up, right? (laughs) We got this little baby coming, and I'm thinking, you know, I want to show myself to be the man. (laughs) Pretend I had a clue. (laughs) And so I I was, you know, I I I prepared I prepared the baby shower for her. Like, you know, we had we had the baby shower all set up. I went out, I found the restaurant, the catering hall, set everything up paid for things and got the family everything all the friends and family and everything was a secret to her and we got home and and so i remember getting home from work and we've got this entire day kind of set and planned i'm somewhat excited because you know for a guy that you know i was i was handling some business and and i felt i felt accomplished because of it and 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 so um as we're getting ready, and what was it? We were going, getting ready for dinner. We we're going to dinner, right? We we're getting dinner. And so, you know, we were getting dressed up nice. And so she's getting ready. And she's got her big belly. And all of a sudden, she's like, oh, you know, I'm not feeling too good. Maybe it was that alcapurri I ate, you know, at lunch. Because, you know, she had a Puerto Rican spot right by her job in Brooklyn. And I'm like, oh, man, maybe you got a little indigestion. No, that's all right. It'll pass. And then all of a sudden, like five or six minutes later, she's like, oh. And I'm thinking... So, you know, I mean, I read the book. Did I tell you I read the book, what to expect when you're expecting? So now all of a sudden I'm watching the clock. And so coincidentally, this indigestion was happening every six minutes. Every six minutes, girl, you didn't even give us any warning. Are you serious? Like, I mean, this baby's on its way. Six minute uh, 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 con- contractions. Holy cow, six-minute contraction. So I figured, all right, well, um, the hospital is on the way. You know, the, 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 the restaurant was kind of on the way to the hospital. So I jump, so we jump into our little uh, Toyota Solaro. That's what I used to drive. I was driving back then. Yay, Chris. Mine was black. <laughs> so we jump into our little car, and, and so, man, I'm, I'm, I'm booking. I'm like, I'm, like I'm, I'm going, right? I'm going. And so we get, and she's like, but where are you going with the hospital? And I'm like, girl, you don't even know. We got to get to the hospital. She was like, but what? And I'm like, cause your baby showers today. She was like, that's what this is all about. She's like, Again. So I finally get into, in, into the, I get to the restaurant. I pull over and she's in the car breathing. 
She's doing her breathing. I jump out of the car and I run into the restaurant and I tell everybody, hey, everybody, all my family and friends and like, yo, Rob. I'm like, listen, thank you all for coming. Have a great time. Food is good. Bar is good. Everything is good. But we're on our way to go have a baby. Like, shut up. Stop. And I'm like, no, seriously, we're on our way to go have a baby. Like, it's happening now. Hannah wanted to be so part, much part of her party. She's like, oh, they could have a party in my name and I'm not going to be there. That's not going to happen. So, so I jump back into the car. Her grandmother comes in and they're like, oh, man, she's ready to go. She's ready to go. We get into the hospital. We get to the hospital and we go up into the, the, the maternity ward and, and, and Eunice gets a good kick. And so she, you know, she lets out a little bit of groan. Nurse came out with this real cocky attitude like, man, you know what? With a yell like that, you better be like at least three centimeters. Six? She said six? She said, you better be at least six centimeters with the ground. That long. So, so I'll just sit down. and so this, I'm like, really? Are you serious? So the nurse goes in and, you know, nurse is all calm. Everybody's calm. And they're like, oh, and they check. How many centimeters were you? She was 10 centimeters. <laughs> so the nurse turned around. Now, now, you know, Miss Cocky goes into panic mode. Like, oh, my God, 10 minutes. Hold on. Don't push it. She starts going crazy. We got to get a birthday rope. She's all crazy. I'm like, oh, yeah. What happened to your Miss Cocky attitude now? <laughs> At least six. That girl's like 10. <laughs> <laughs> so there we were, premature labor, <laughs> trying to time these contractions, get into the hospital, and like 36 minutes later, 33 minutes later, we had a baby girl. So, <laughs> so I was able to call the family at the restaurant. Like 33 minutes later, everybody's in party mode, and we're like, it's a girl! They're like, shut up, no way, already? <laughs> Like, yo, that's what it was. At the turn of the millennium, we had our first baby. Dumb. I witnessed the love. I couldn't, I couldn't understand before. See, this was on the other side. This wasn't my mom. This was now the mom of my baby. It's true love. Unconditional love. Firsthand. I experienced something I couldn't even describe. A love so deep. I looked at her as she looked at Hannah, and there was just like that connection between mom and daughter, and, and it was just like this bond. I would sit back in awe just watching it. My God, like 10 fingers, 10 toes, just this perfect little baby. I know Eunice thinks she looked like an alien when she was uh, like we. I was gonna, I was gonna have your baby picture up. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, at least the day after, without the cone head. But <laughs> I thought she was the cutest, cutest little baby. I was like, "Is this she a toy?" She's like, "She looks like an alien." I'm like, "No, she doesn't. She's beautiful." Stop. She had a smile that can light up the room. And I knew that there wasn't anything Eunice wouldn't do for that baby girl. And I knew that there wasn't anything that I wouldn't want to do for her. That was my go-to. Oh, wait, that's me. That was my, that's our second baby. <laughs> and, um, and then we had another one. <laughs> and that's the one that's giving me the run of my money. 
Yes, mom, I hear you. <laughs> the Bible says, and um, all grown up now, not yet. <laughs> Almost. Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 is a passage of scripture where Paul speaks to Timothy, his young protege. Paul begins it with an introduction. Now, uh, mind you, this is uh, the second letter to Timothy. So this was the last letter um, that he wrote right before he passed, before he died, before he was martyred, killed uh, for the sake of the gospel. And he introduces himself, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. See, that's the promise that we have. It's eternal life. It's, it's an experience with a Savior, with a risen Savior. A relationship with a living God who created the heavens and the earth, who put all things into place, into its existence. And, and the promise is not of an abundant life. It's not a life of prosperity. It's not a life of the rich and famous. It's the promise that after this life is eternal life. That regardless of the shame that we can wind up placing upon ourselves, that God is a God that looks us through eyes of unconditional love. And if we were just to receive the gift of his son, to apply the sinless blood to cover the guilt of the guilty, that the shame we carry would be wiped out, that we can be in confidence in authority, knowing that through the spirit of adoption, we are called his children, his sons, and his daughters. The promise is that of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And he addresses it to Timothy, my beloved son. And for those of us that are in leadership in ministry, you know the marks of a pastor. You know the marks of an elder, of a bishop of a deacon, when they, when they pour their love, their love out, their life out in love for you, when they take a position of a father, of a mother, and care for you at that level, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of, can you say sincere faith? faith. Of the sincere faith within you. I gotta tell you, our faith, when it's in its sincerity, it's a faith that's inside of us. It's not on the outside. It's not a superficial one. It's not about, it's not one that, you know, you hold your Bible and you work to go to church all sanctimonious and all holier than thou. And, you know, you put on your best garments and you try to uh, 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 sell the exterior superficial part of doing church. God's not mocked he is no fool 
He knows the heart. In fact, Jesus turned around and he called those religious people, those fanatics at those moment times, whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed tombs. You look all power washed and nice from the outside. Look all real good and pristine on the inside. On the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You're stinking, rotten to the core. God knows our heart, man. Can we fool him? Can we put one over on him? Our faith, for our faith to be sincere, it's got to be one of experience, not book knowledge, not head knowledge. It's got to be heart knowledge. It's got to be an experience with the risen Savior. It's got to be something that we would wind up living that would be transformed from the mind and into the soul. And he's noticed that his faith that was within him was sincere. And it first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. See, the custom was that you used to disciple your children. You didn't leave, you didn't send them off to the public school and hope for the best and think that those teachers and those administrators are going to teach your child the things that your child needs to know. Addition and subtraction and scientific elements and all of these things, you know, you could learn all of that. But there's something that you have to learn at home that you cannot learn outside of the home. There are character lessons of integrity There's character lessons of not what we say, but what we do. There are lessons that we teach that we're not even using words because kids are not going to pick up what you say. They're going to pick up what you do. So when we turn around and we tell our child, don't lie, lying is bad, lying is wrong, we always speak and deal with the truth. And all of a sudden the phone rings and it's the collector Oh, I'm not here. Don't even. What? Mixed messages are sent out just like that. And you know what? You know what that child picked up? Lying is okay as long as it's conditional. You say I'm not ought to lie, but when it's convenient to me, it's okay. So they don't learn what you tell them. They learn what you do. What you're, what you're witnessing to them. And, and, and so this was a culture where children spent a lot of time at home. They weren't on Xbox or PlayStation or Snapchat or Instagram. Some of y'all might be in that right now. <laughs> Got one. <laughs> <laughs> They spent time, they spent time at home with mom and with dad. And if dad went out, mom was the caretaker and and the teacher. And you learned all of the domestic skills and you learned how to work and you observed and watched your father and you went out with your father at a certain time. So Paul is saying that, you know what, this sincere faith, I know it's sincere because it wasn't just something that came down from you. This is something that was generational. 
You didn't just pick this up. This is something that was passed down to you. First through your grandmother Lois. She was a woman of God. Then your mother Eunice. She was a woman of God. And because of their relationship with the Lord, their faith is genuine. And we can see that because the tree is known by what? The fruit it produces. So anybody that turns around and tells you, oh, well, I'm a very spiritual person. Yeah, how's that working for you? Can, can, can you show me some of the fruit? Because if I'm going to be hanging out around you and you're going to try to feed me some stuff, I want to know that that stuff is good. Is it rotten fruit or is it good fruit? Spend, spend enough time around an individual. Watch what they do. Listen to how they speak. What are the things that are most important to them? Huh? You get to learn a lot just by picking the fruit. And he's saying that this, gen, this faith was genuine, was sincere, and it's inside of you because I know where it came from. I know where it was passed down to you generationally. I am sure he was confident, more than confident, that it is in you as well. Chapter 3, verses 14, 17 he continues to say, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced. See, the learning part is the head knowledge. The convincing part is the heart knowledge. You can learn something via the book. But once you've experienced it and done it and your hands are dirty, now you know it. Now it's not just a matter of having the knowledge of it. It's having the experience of it. You become convinced of it. Our faith has got to be a faith. Is not, it can't just be out of the words. It's got to be out of the conviction that we have within our hearts. Because, fellas, how, how other way? When, when everybody else is out there watching the football games and, you know, working out in the city and they're hollering at shorty and you turn around and, you know, they're, they're looking one way and you decide to look the other way. Out of 100 guys, 85 of them, 90 of them are looking in the other direction. For you to be able to have within you the stand with all to draw those lines and know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, it can't just be a position or choice of your will. It's got to be that, a position and choice of your conviction. You got to be convinced. You got to be convinced. And he says that become convinced of knowing, knowing from whom you have learned them. So oftentimes it's not just the student, but it's also the teacher. It was a big thing when you turn around and say, yeah, no, I studied under Gamaliel. Paul studied under Gamaliel, one of the big Pharisees. Uh, if all throughout the Talmud and, and the traditions of the Jews, you have all of these teachers and, and people used to turn around and say, you know, I mean, today they do it today. Where'd you go to school? NYU. Westchester Community Center. <laughs> Stop. Westchester's a good school. But all of a sudden, you want to give all of these accolades and all of these things in regards to where you're getting your knowledge from because where you're getting your knowledge from, the fruit that you picked, you look at the tree that it was picked from. And so Paul recognizes in Timothy's life, where he learned them from. And that from his childhood, 
you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Come on. Able to give you the wisdom. The sacred writings is what's able to give us the wisdom. So whenever we pick up the Bible and start examining the Bible, within that is going to come the wisdom that leads then into salvation through an experience, through a knowledge of faith that is in Christ Jesus. Bible says, I think Paul wrote it in, in, in Romans uh, where he says, faith cometh by hearing and by hearing of the word of God. The Bible is not just a book that you pick up like any other, you know, uh, 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 biography or, or writing. The Bible within it, you know, contained inside of that. It's a jigsaw puzzle. I look at the scriptures like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, I think about 1,600 years, the span, 66 different books that came together, writers, about 40 different of them, from, from prophets and kings to peasants and slaves, like, you know what I'm saying, fishermen and tax collectors. You get, you get this array of writers and you get this array of books through a span of 1,600 years, and it unravels the same theme. The Bible is alive and living and when we begin to examine it and study it out, oh my God, in it is the power that leads into salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He continues to say that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The Peak Community Church is a young, vibrant, life-giving church in the heart of Peekskill. Come and visit us on Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. at the historic Elks Club, 1038 Brown Street. Thank you for listening.